So Satan had a garage sale. Did you know he has garage sales? Gets the best deal. But once upon a time, Satan was having a garage sale. There were standing in little groups were all of his bright and shiny trinkets. Here were tools that could make it easy to tear others down for the use as stepping stones. And over there were some lenses for magnifying one's own importance, which if you look through them the other way, you could also use them to belittle others or even yourself. And against the wall, there was the usual assortment of gardening implements guaranteed to help your pride grow by heaps and bounds and and the rake of scorn, the shovel of jealousy for digging a pit for your neighbor, the tools of gossip and backbiting of selfishness and apathy. All these were pleasing to the eye, and they came complete with fabulous promises and guarantees of prosperity. Prices, of course, were very steep. But don't worry, free credit was given to one and all. Take it home and use it, and, if you, and you won't have to pay until later. Old Satan cried as, as he hawked his wares. The visitor, as he browsed, noticed two well-worn, nondescript tools standing in one corner. Not being nearly as tempting as the others, he found it curious that these two tools had very high price tags, higher than any other. When he asked why, Satan just laughed and he said, well, that's because I use them so much. If they weren't so plain looking, people might see them for what they really were. Satan pointed to the two tools saying, you see, this one's doubt and that other one is discouragement. And those will work when nothing else will. I love this because that ties right into where David was at in his life. Talk about discouraged. But during that discouragement, he wrote this wonderful song. Let's pray before we get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this song because in it we each see ourselves. We see uh, discouragement and and just weariness of soul. And so we just thank you that he pinned our very thoughts down in this psalm. So we just ask now that you help us to put aside the worries of the day, all the distractions that will keep us from sitting at your feet. And so we just give you this time, Lord. ask that you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read the psalm from the New Living Translation, because I love this, because it actually, the New Living Translation is very good if you like it simply, more simply put. And so he says, Oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced, or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path for those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness, and all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. For for the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. 
They will live in prosperity, and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend for those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. O God, ransom Israel from all his troubles. What an amazing thing about the Psalms, because we can all relate to David, and that's why we find so much comfort when we read this. This was an amazing man of God, and yet he writes these types of things. I mean, haven't we all felt like that? Haven't we all felt like, you know, I've got enemies surrounding me. Lord, protect me. And um, we've all blown it like poor David has. I mean, I'm sure most of you haven't murdered people, but, you know, We've all, yeah, hopefully you haven't, um, but you know what, he blew it a lot. He blew it a lot, and yet God still describes him as a friend of God and a man after God's own heart. And so I find great comfort in reading this from such an awesome man, somebody who is so much in the limelight. He was the king of Israel, and yet he feels like this. And now poor, poor David is having to live with the consequences of all the things that he had blown in his lifetime. And so Psalm 25 was written by David at a time when he was going a really tough time with one of his kids, and that kid was Absalom. Now, Absalom was a very, very bitter young man. He had a beloved sister. Her name was uh, Tamar. And he had also, you remember, David had many wives. So a half-brother decided that he wanted Tamar. And he ended up raping her. And that made Absalom very, very mad because she was supposed to be like the most beautiful girl in the land. And she was uh, dishonored in this manner. And the half-brother refused to marry her after that. And so she had been shamed. And this made Absalom very, very mad. And David didn't do anything about it. You know, what do you do? You know how your kids are fighting? What can you do? You're kind of caught between a rock and a hard spot. And so um, Absalom plotted to kill his brother. And about two years later, um, that bitterness and that hatred grew. And eventually he killed his brother. And so David's having to deal with this. And so what does he do? He kicks, kind of, he kicks Absalom out. And so now he's got this very bitter son who is challenging his authority, challenging his throne, and he's standing on the outskirts of the city mocking David, and he is distraught. When he talks about his enemies surrounding him, it's his own son. So for those of you who have gone through real difficult times with your kids, you can imagine what this must have felt like. I mean, you would just want to die because you love your kids so much, and yet this is what this kid is doing. So this is essentially a prayer to God from David, and it's a conversational prayer. It's my favorite way to pray. I'm not, because I don't stay still very well, um, it's hard for me to just sit, like people say, sit in your prayer closet, you know, that way you don't have distraction. That would drive me crazy. I mean, I couldn't even sit in the closet and not be distracted. You know, I'd be, oh, I don't, I, I forgot I had that. Oh, look at these shoes. When did I buy these? You know, I would be distracted about everything. So, you know. 
so my best way, my favorite way to pray is just every day. I feel like God is always right beside me. So whether I'm driving down the road, God is sitting in the other seat. If I'm shopping, you know, oh, what do you think, Lord? Is this cute? You know, um, seriously, he, he enjoys that. He enjoys that conversational prayer. He even says in this psalm, I am your best friend. Uh, we had it mentioned this morning that he is our B, BFF. You know, I can't text, so, you know, I have trouble asking, is that BBF or, no, it's BFF, best friends forever. And you know what? It really is forever. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And so conversational prayer is very helpful because it keeps you tuned in that the Lord is with you always. And so uh, he starts out, oh, Lord, I give you my life. Boy, isn't that the key to a close walk? Just Give it up. I don't know why I resist this so much. I mean, you, you girls have the same problem, just giving up and giving it to the Lord. I don't know why it's so hard for us to do, but it is. And once we reach that area in our lives where we just, okay, I finally, I give up. I'm not going to take the reins back. You know, how many times do we say, I give this to you, Lord, and then we grab it right back. And it's Lord saying, uh, didn't you give that to me? I was going to take care of it for you, but since you think you can take care of it, fine, go ahead. You know, I'll just have to clean up the mess later. That's what he has to do. So he says, I give you my life. David understands this and lifts up his soul to the Lord because he is, he's at the end of himself. There's nothing he can do. He is so distressed. He is so heartbroken over this whole thing. And um, I have been in that situation where I had nowhere else but to turn to the Lord. The Lord at one point, about 20 years ago, took everything away from me. Everything I thought was important. He just, one by one, boom, gone, boom, gone, boom, gone. I'm going, what has happened? He says, well, now I can talk to you directly without all this other junk in the way. And so, I mean, it was, it was a revolution. It's like, wow, I can give my life completely over to you? Over to you, yes. I can't. I can't do this. And he came in, and you know what? He fixed it. He replaced those things. You know, once I put them in the right perspective, they will never be on uh, a pedestal again. I will never put my hope and trust in them again. I put my hope and trust in the Lord and the Lord only. And that was what was uh, liberating. That is what gave me true freedom in the Lord. And so we just, we just got to stop trying to fix it ourselves because... You know what? When we fix it ourselves, we usually just mess it up more, don't we? And so it takes even more for the Lord to do. It gives him more to do to try to bail you out of all the troubles that you have, uh, have, have done for yourself. And so lift up your soul to the Lord. Trust in him. Then he goes on to uh, the second verse. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. So David reaffirms his need for God and his, for his goodness, for his mercy, for his uh, uh, forgiveness, most assuredly. And David also asks that he not be disgraced or ashamed. David knew all his shortcomings. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, re- remember, he, he, he saw Bathsheba on a rooftop and knew she was married, but he wanted her anyway. So he took her. She got pregnant through their affair, and then what did he have to do? Well, now he's got to 
convince Uriah, her husband, to come home from the battlefield so that he can he can be with his wife so he won't think that the child wasn't his. And that completed that was a complete fiasco. Instead of just confessing, he, he has this whole scheme and ends up having Uriah killed on the front lines. It's very sad. And so he was totally busted for that one. And then we just see throughout David's life again and again and again that he needs God's forgiveness. And so he also asks that he not be disgraced or ashamed. Because when the Christian blows it, when the Christian um, dishonors themselves before the world, especially if they're in a public, uh, a public arena, I mean, we see it all the time. How many times have we watched um, preachers on television be caught in um, an adulterous act or something like that? It happens all the time. And the world loves to point those out. So you can see, see, look at those Christians. They're no different from us. The Lord has been disgraced. And so David understands this. He goes, I am your representative, and now look what I've done. I have just made a mess of things, and now you are the one that's getting the black eye because you know I represent you. And so he says, please don't let me be disgraced or ashamed. So he was asking for forgiveness and, you know, Lord, clean up the mess I made again. Um, So he no longer wanted, and he no longer wanted to feel guilt. I mean, isn't that an awful thing? When we feel guilty, we know we should do something and we're not doing it. Let's say you lost your temper and you screamed and yelled, even at your kids. Yes, they may have deserved it, but you're still representative of the Lord. We're supposed to scream and yell at our kids in a loving manner, <laughs> which I, I, I know it's sometimes difficult. But you know what? If you blow it, okay? And this is something that Jeff and I were always very careful about, and that is if we knew that we needed to ask forgiveness from our kids, trust me, it is the hardest thing, but it is so necessary. If you overreacted, if you added if, excuse me, if you acted in a way that was not honoring to the Lord, you need to ask forgiveness, not only of the Lord, but of your kids. I know that kind of goes against what some of you feel off. That just shows weakness. No, that just shows that you are listening to the Lord. And that's so important for them to see that. And so make sure you confess it. And that's what David is doing here. And then in verse 3, it says, No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. So um, David is stating here that if we trust God, trust in God, our sins are removed. Of course, we're trusting him to forgive us if we ask for forgiveness. And he will forgive us our sins. As far as the east is from the west, he will completely forget about them. And so this is what David is pleading with the Lord. However, those who do not trust in the Lord, those who are not children of the Lord, or they're not Christians... Um, are living lives of disgrace and shame. They really are. And we see this every day. I mean, there's shameful things that we see on the television and and around town, everything. But the choice is ours. Um, I went and saw a bumper sticker, and it says, Know Jesus, K-N-O-W, Jesus, you know peace. But if there's no Jesus in O, then there's no peace. And so um, we see this in anyone who doesn't walk with the Lord, they are totally lacking in peace, are they not? And um, it's really sad to see. And so they are ashamed of their lives 
and uh, they are a disgrace. And then verse 4, it says, Show me your right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Don't we love to have a road? Um, we love, Jeff and I love to just get in a car or a four-wheel drive and just take off and see all sorts of dirt roads. You know, and there's a lot of them. And it just gives me that perfect picture of the right road. We were trying to find this wonderful lake. And this is a great analogy because um, we had looked up, you know, we're always looking at maps, topos, and that kind of thing. And it says, okay, the road ends here, and then we had to hike maybe a mile or two. And it was straight down to the lake, and it was a wonderful fishing lake. I mean, we just raked in the trout that day. We had so much fun. And this was just last August. And then, then we had to carry all that. I mean, we had a dozen trout like this size. I mean, we were loaded down. Of course, you know, I put it on Austin because he's like a pack mule anyway. And so, but we had to hike up that steep trail. And I was exhausted. You know, I'm totally out of shape. And I was exhausted. And so we went to go back to that lake, right? So we looked at the map and it says, but you know what? There's a road that goes to this lake. We think. We think the road, it comes awfully close. I think if we take this little dirt road, we're going to find this lake, right? So around and around we went, and we could not get to this lake. We were trying to take a shortcut. So isn't that a perfect picture of how we all try to make shortcuts to the Lord? You know, uh, yeah, you know, I think I can take the easy route and get to the Lord this way. And he's saying, no, no, you need to go park your car here, and you need to hike in. You know, that is the right trail. And so I love it that the paths are shown. It was clear exactly how to get to the wonderful trout lake, but we wanted to find an easier route, and so it just wasn't going to happen. So he's saying, please guide me, Lord. Please guide me. I am totally messing up here. I need to find out, you know, what you want me to do in this situation. Now that I've, I've made a mess of my whole life, I need your guidance. So he realizes that all the things he did on his own have brought him nothing but grief and pain, and so... Um, it's a wonderful place to be in to know the exact direction. There's no guesswork, is there? I knew that if we parked our car at the trailhead parking and hiked a mile and a half, we would hit that lake. I knew that. There was comfort in knowing that. But, boy, wandering around in the middle of nowhere trying to find the shortcut, you know, it's like, oh, you know, how long are we going to be stuck here? The car was completely covered in dust, you know, and we scratched the sides a little bit because we're going through all these little, you know, narrow places, and we were just making a mess of things, you know. It's kind of fun, but, uh, you know, we never did make it to the lake, never found the lake because, you know, by that time we wasted so much time trying to find the shortcut that we never got to fish in the lake. We got there. I mean, finally, it was like 4 o'clock when we said, well, do you want to just hike in? No, it's too late now. You know, the fish probably aren't biting anymore. <laughs> so, you know, it's nice to know the exact path. You won't blow it. So um, he continues on. Verse 5, lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. So God's leading is the true way of salvation. It's the true way to get to that perfect fishing lake. It's the, uh, it's the way you want to go. You don't want to uh, hinder God's plans for you. And remember, this is a prayer. God wants 
to direct David and instruct him to the right path. And so I know I feel that way oftentimes. I and mean, it's kind of scary when you're not sure what God wants out of you. And a very good point was, was brought up by Robin this morning. And she says, the more you get to know the Lord, the more you're able to listen to that still, quiet voice. And isn't that true? The more you get to know someone, you begin to um, understand his mannerisms or her mannerisms. You can tell when they're upset, when they're irritated, when they're happy, when they're sad, when they're flustered. The more you get to know somebody, the more you can pick up on those things. It is the same way with our walk with the Lord. If you're trying to figure out what he's trying to tell you, maybe you need to get to know him a little more. And we do that through conversational prayer and reading his word because his direction is in his word. And um, I often say, if you don't know where you're going to, where God wants you to go, don't go anywhere. That is so important. I see so many people, but I got to do something. I got to go somewhere. No, if the Lord hasn't given you direction, stay put. He's working on it. But, you know, Miss Impatient here, I'm the impatient poster child. You know, oh, yeah, you know what? I've got this. You know, I got it, Lord. You know, don't worry about it. You know, I can fix this. And so, boy, I make a mess of things because I've stepped ahead of the Lord. And he says, oh, that wasn't quite the direction we were supposed to go in. Okay, I'll try to fix it. And um, make sure you wait on the Lord to direct you. It's so important. But we need to hope in the Lord. And we can't lose heart because he will direct you. That is what, what David is praying here. I know you can direct me. Please direct me. What am I supposed to do here? I am at my wit's end. And um, we need to wait. Wait on the Lord. So very, very important. So verse 6. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. David doesn't want God to remember his past boo-boos here, but rather God's mercy and love when David confessed those sins. Um, the whole mess with his kids, which prompted the psalm, you know, was a direct result of his lack of, of being diligent to what he knows was right. Do you realize this whole thing would have been averted had he dealt with this other son who raped the sister? That whole, this whole thing, his, um, uh, the, the problem he is now having with Absalom, his beloved Absalom, this was a son he loved very much, and it would have been averted had he done something. I mean, I'm not sure what the laws of the land said. I can imagine that it can't be good that if you were caught in a rape, at least you should be imprisoned, something, but he didn't do anything. He knew about it. And I'm sure it grieved him, but did he do anything? No. I wonder sometimes if he didn't do it because he felt, well, you know what? I was caught in sexual sin too, so I guess I can't be a hypocrite and get after my my brother, I mean my son. Perhaps that's what he was thinking. And I have actually heard that. I heard somebody says, well, I can't tell my child not to smoke pot because, you know, I smoked pot as a child. I can't tell them they can't do that. I can't be a hypocrite. And I'm going, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Of course. Who better? Who better to tell them? Don't go down the road. This is what I've done. And boy, what a mess I made. Please don't. I mean, if you have gone through something like that, you are like the best person to comfort somebody or to tell someone you don't want to go there. Trust me. Trust me, you don't. Whereas, you know, if you've never um, done anything bad and you're trying to to get after somebody, sometimes it kind of comes off as you're being self-righteous. 
And so what a, you know, a great way to, to tell somebody, don't go down that road. But David probably still felt a little guilty because he totally made a mess with Bathsheba. You know, well, you know, I was caught in sexual sin, so I really can't, you know, condemn my son for doing the same thing. So be sure you don't get caught in that trap. And if you hear your kid is blowing it, by all means, tell them. There's nothing wrong with you telling them that you had gone down that path and you really made a mess of your life. Our boys know all about Jeff's alcoholism. They know about it. And so, you know, Jeff can talk to them. Boys, you don't want to go down that road. Tell me, let me tell you what happened with me. And so David didn't understand that concept, apparently. And so he did not uh, deal with it when he could. And now he's paying the consequences. So verse 7, it says, Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. So please, I know I blew it. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. All of us, I think, have prayed this at some point in our lives. Have you ever wish you could take back a moment. I had, I had a moment, and I'll, I'll share this. Um, last Saturday, you know, and I, it, wasn't, it wasn't like I did something sinful. Well, and I, I, was, I was tweaked, yes, but um, for, for good reason, and I'll explain why. Um, we were getting ready. My parents were having a fish fry. And um, catfish fry, you know, they're from the south. And so, you know, I was busy making hush puppies, and, and, and Jeff was helping. He was chopping the onions. And our cat, we have this black cat, she jumps up on the counter. And my back was turned to her. I didn't notice what she was doing. And Jeff goes, that cat is peeing on my Bible. And, it's, and so what he does is he had his he had his study notes for Sunday morning sitting on the counter, and uh, with his Bible on top of it. And so I run over there and I grab the Bible. Thankfully, somehow it missed the Bible. I was because you know that would have been that would have been the worst. But his study notes, everything is. I'm going. What in the world were you thinking, you dumb cat? You know, I'm so mad at this cat. You know. Pick her up, and we threw her outside and said, you know, don't come back if you know what's good for you. And <laughs> so, yeah, it's like this is the most disgusting thing. So here we are, cleaning up. I mean, this cat left a huge puddle. I'm going, really? It's like, this is like inconceivable. It, yeah, demon possessed. I mean, pees on his notes for crying out loud. So, well, you know, if you didn't like the study, you should just said something. But it's like, so... So I'm, I'm cleaning everything up, and, you know, and I sprayed Windex on there. Now, last spring, I actually put new marble tile down on my countertop. And um, I didn't know exactly how sensitive it was. And after I cleaned up all this, you know, I still, you know, it's such a strong smell. It's such a disgusting smell. Um, I... I grabbed a all-purpose surface cleaner, sprayed it all over my counter. And I'm going to let it sit there and soak in so it'll get rid of all that, you know, because it was in the grout. It was like, whoa. So, you know, i got to get rid of the smell because this is really irritating. It's disgusting, right? And so I spray it all in there, and then I wipe it off, and I'm going, oh, dear, my finish is ruined. And it's like, and I look at the bottle, and it says, do not use on natural surfaces. What it did is it actually etched my marble and because it was a high polish. And so 
I'm just going, I can't believe I've done this. And so, you know, all week this week, whenever I get a spare moment, I'm trying to rub all this stuff out. And I can't tell you how many times I have said to myself, I wish I could have taken that moment back and just turn the bottle over and see, do not use on marble. Okay. So I think we all have moments like that where we could just take them back. You know, it may not, it may have been a real catastrophe. It may be a car accident, something that you wish you could take back. One time I was backing out of the car, backing the car, this was with um, our Durango, backing the car out of the garage, forgot that I had the hashback still up. Well, of course it caught on the garage door and everything got all tweaked and bent and ugly. And I was like, I wish I could have taken that moment back. So, you know, we all have moments like that. This is where David's at. He was, I wish I could take those moments back, but I can't. So, Lord, please fix them. Fix them. I can't, I can't do anything. I'm at my wit's end. So, verse, <clears throat> verse 8, he says, The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path for those who go astray. You know, for years, I didn't want to give my life completely over to the Lord because I thought, you know what, I'm still young. I want to have fun. Boy, did I have it wrong. I have had more adventure, more fun since I gave my life to the Lord. He completely redeemed it. He goes, ah, that stuff you're doing before, no big deal. No big deal. But, boy, the plans I have for you are great. They are so fun. You will have the best fun of your life. And you know what? He's right. I don't know why I held back all those years. For like, I don't know, 15 years, I held back my complete um, uh, surrender to the Lord. I held back. And I really, I regret that. But, you know, the Lord is, is faithful. And he goes, okay, well, you know what? I'll work with what I got now. You know, you've got a few good years. And so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bring it on. And so... I didn't want to follow, follow God's path. I really didn't because I, I was afraid. I was afraid that, um, you know, God was going to send me to Africa and they're going to have big spiders. I am terrified of spiders. And, you know, come to find out it's Brazil where they have the big spiders. But um, and Jeff keeps saying, so when are you going to go to Brazil with me? Uh, the spider's still there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to walk around with a can of Raid, you know. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I see, I just knew. I just knew if I gave my life to the Lord, that's where I was going to end up, in Africa with the spiders. And so um, I didn't, of course, God's not going to do something that's going to terrorize me. If God is truly in it, he's going to make it so that wild horses couldn't keep you back. You know what? He's not going to send me someplace where I'll be terrified and scared the whole time. I'll be Useless. He can't use me if I'm living in fear, right? So he's going to do something. He created me. He knows me better than anybody in the world, anybody in the universe. He created me. So he knows exactly what I need, exactly what scares me, what doesn't, what I can do, what I can't do. So I need to trust him. I need to follow his path because he has the best for you. That is so important for us to grasp. Okay, he wants only the best for you. Only the best. So continuing on, he says, he leads me, excuse me, he leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. I was certainly humble and broken. By the time God took everything away from me, I was a humbled person. It's like, you know what? I don't care. Even if I don't have any fun for the rest of my life, you know, this is the way I felt, you know, because I knew the minute I gave my life to him, then, you know, no more fun, um, then 
he's a, I figured, you know, what, what, what's the problem? Because I'm there now. So, you know, it can't get any worse, I thought. And so, <laughs> so David was certainly humble and broken. You know, he's gone, oh, Lord, I can't believe I did this. I was so proud. You know, I wanted to go down my own path, so I'm so sorry. And so the proud will do whatever they think is right and not what God thinks is right. Isn't that true? I was there. I was one of those people. I wanted to do what I thought was right. And it didn't include the Lord. It included getting involved in the world system and making lots of money and doing lots of fun things, going on great vacations and that kind of thing. You know, we've been on more vacations since we've been walking with the Lord than when we weren't. Interesting, isn't it? So anyway, verse 10, the Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. That is a wonderful promise. But you see the key here is keeping his commands, keeping his commands. And, you know, um, oftentimes we, we think that, at least I thought, and sometimes kids think this too, and they still think this about us as parents, that we say no because we're just wanting to ruin their fun. But that's, see, that's how I viewed God. Well, you know, he's got all these rules and all these regulations. Well, you know what? He has these rules and regulations so that we don't mess up our lives. You know, my favorite story to tell about my kids, and I probably tell it at least once a year, but it's such a great analogy of, of why it's important that we follow God's commands. And that is when the boys were little and they got stuck in the mud hole. Remember that story? I told them, you know, how many times do we say, don't jump in a mud puddle? Well, in this case, the mud puddle was three feet deep. So they got stuck, at least Austin did. And it was in the winter and it had been just tons and tons of rain. And now it was really cold. It was like, uh, it was in the high 20s that day. And it had been um, so cold, and finally the sun was out, and the boys were out getting the wiggles out, and they, Austin got stuck in the mud, you know. He jumped in the puddle and sank right to his waist. And so, you know what? I'm thinking, wow, that is perfect. I go, so was I mean in saying, you know what, don't jump in the puddles. You, know, you never know what's underneath that water. You don't. And God is constantly telling us, don't jump in the puddles. Trust me, there might be something there that might not be good. When he says, don't have sex outside of marriage, why do you think that is? Is it because he wants to ruin all your fun? No, he says it because, okay, you could get an STD, you could get pregnant, and these all cause problems for you. I don't want you to go there. I love you too much. See, if we love our children, we tell them, don't do this. Don't run out into the street without looking both ways. You know, is that because you don't love them? No, it's because you love them. Don't do that. That's why God gives us his commands, his demands. He says, I don't want you getting messed up because you've done something that I said not to do. And so this is where, again, David is at. Teach me your ways and uh, help me to obey your commands. So verse 11, for the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all un- um, unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful promise? So that means all sins. And all means all. It doesn't mean some. He's not going to bring them up. He's not, he's not human like us. We will, yeah, you know what? 
I'll, I'll forgive you for wronging me, but, you know, I'm not sure I can ever forget. That is the human response. That's not God's response. He goes, sin? What sin? Didn't you confess that sin? I don't remember what that sin was. You know, I have forgotten it from the east to the west. I won't remember your sins. Isn't that wonderful? So we need to quit looking at God in our own human um, limitations. You know, I would remember a wrong done to me for the rest of my life. Isn't that true? I mean, even if you've forgiven them, do you really forget? It comes up. It rears its ugly head now and again. You know, sometimes uh, you'll just out of the blue. Satan goes, Thing, you remember what they did to you? Yeah, but I forgave them. Oh, yeah, that's right. You did forgive them. But you know what? That's, again, you got that pit in your stomach, that knot in your stomach that reminds you. So verse 12, who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. In the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is a designation of true piety or devotion. It's the fear of when you really love uh, someone, you actually you would do you would just die if you ever hurt them, right? Think of somebody that you love the most in this whole world, and you hurt them. Wouldn't you be mortified? It is a fear of that. It's like I just don't want to, I don't want to bring your disapproval, and that's where David's at here. If we fear the Lord, as David put it, then God will lead us. He's able to lead us because, you know what, our fear of disappointing him will cause us to look to him and let him guide us. It's a good thing to have fear of the Lord. Not You don't want to have the fear like, oh, man, he's, you know, I'm going to blow it and there you go. You know, we're not, we're not talking about that. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want you to fear in that sense. You know, this morbid fear, uh, he's going to fry you at any time. But... Um, be sure to check and see if you need direction in that area. Um, many times God shows us this direction again through his word, so make sure you, you look at that. Verse 13, we will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. Right choices have consequences both for yourself and for your descendants. We've seen this in David's life. His wrong choices is what's causing Absalom to turn his face away from God. Isn't that a horrible responsibility? The choices we make do affect our children. Um, for example, if you say, if you come to church, you know, use us as an example. If my two sons hear Jeff up here saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, and you know, all things will go well for you with the Lord, and then we go home and we're screaming and yelling and partying it up at home. What do you think the boys are learning here? That that's a fake. That's a hypocrite. That is so important. It goes for everybody, not just for us. If you say one thing or they know that you're listening to one thing in church and then you go home and do just the opposite or you have no change of heart, this reflects on your kids. They see this. They're like little, they're constantly watching, aren't they? They're like little parrots, too. You know, they'll pick up phrases, actions that you do. So it reflects upon your descendants if you are not following the Lord's direction. See, they will live in prosperity, and their children will inherit the land. You see, we're not going to live in monetary prosperity. Perhaps, perhaps not. But the Lord's going to take care of us. But the greatest blessing... The richness that we have is not in our money. It's not in our house. It's not in our cars. It is the fact that my two sons are walking with the Lord. That is the biggest 
blessing for me. I can't tell you how much joy that brings me. If I'm having a bad day, I think of my kids. I think of my kids and say, you know what, it's all worth it. Everything that we have been through, it is worth it because my kids love you. And I am so thankful. And that is our inheritance. And it filters down to your descendants. So important. So important. And then verse 14, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Remember, he's your BFF. And we have intimacy with the Lord. And because of that, when we read his word, it makes sense to us. And it's a living word. Every time we read it, we get something new out of it. That's important to get something, you know, to say, Lord, what do you have for me today? And open his word and read it, desiring to be heard from him. You know, confession time. Sometimes I go, okay, you know, I've got my 15 minutes. Okay, okay, done. I'm out of here, you know. No, no. (laughs) Yeah, I I see some hands there. Um, Isn't that true? We do that. It's like, okay, i got to get this. Did I get anything out of it? Well, God's word doesn't return void. But he wanted to give me so much more. It's kind of like, that's it? You know, I can just picture what God's saying. That's it. That's all you will give me. Here I had all this wonderful stuff to tell you. You don't have time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. My bad. So we, in order to truly understand his words, we need to sit and we need to meditate on it. You can, you can take, even if it's five minutes, anything, anything where the Lord can minister to you is important. And so um, he does this for us. He opens up he, the, his word. He takes the blinders off. When we didn't know the Lord, I don't know about you, but when I opened up the Bible, it meant nothing. Like, yeah, 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 this is tedious at best. You know, I got nothing out of the Bible until the day the Lord said, now's the time. It was reading the Bible that brought me to, to him. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to read it and not know him. I mean, God can still speak to us, but that's how he won my heart. Is I was reading the Bible. I was 16 years old. I was sitting on my bed, which was next to a window. I can picture the whole scene, and I'm reading one of the Gospels. And suddenly the Holy Spirit says, you know, it's all true. And I went, what? <laughs> it's all true. I go, oh. And I knew in my heart, wow, it's all true. See, that's the Holy Spirit. That's my BFF saying, it's all true. And my eyes were open, and I read it for the first time the way God wanted me to read it. And so it's important. That's that secret that he's talking about that only we get as the children of God. Verse 15 says, My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. You ever feel like you have enemies that are setting traps? Oh, my goodness. Um, In this case, it was literal for David. His enemies were surrounding Jerusalem. And in this case, of course, the enemy was Absalom. And so um, they're trying to trap you, though. The enemy of our soul is constantly setting traps. And the reason why he does that, he's trying to get you to sin. He's trying to get you to break your your communion with God. And so he's very good at setting traps. Um, And if we look to the Lord and listen to that still, quiet voice, like we learned on a Sunday where it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but that which is common with man. He says, And every temptation that will come our way, God will give us a way of escape. But oftentimes, because we want to sin, we're not, you know, we kind of like it. You're, 
you're thumbing through you know channels on the TV and you see a really good-looking guy. The temptation, I mean, is there. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, you shouldn't watch that. It's a crummy show. You're right, Lord. But, oh, he's really good-looking. See how it happens? Oh, you know, I think, uh, if, you know, it's not going to hurt if I just watch this show. It's not real filthy. Yeah, you know, they've got sex in it and stuff like that. But, you know, it'll be okay. Well, you know what? When that still small voice says you should change the channel, that was your way of escape. Don't miss that. That's important in our lives. That is important in the, in the walk of a Christian. So be sure to listen to it, that quiet warning that he gives us. And then he says in verse 16, Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone in, in deep distress. When you're in deep distress, you you feel like God's a million miles away, aren't you? And I remember there was a cartoon, and it cracked me up, but it showed, you know, these little cartoon characters with their hands up in the air, you know, screaming, all is lost, all is lost, you know. Sometimes we do that, don't we? When we get, in, if, if we're in a mess, that's the first thing we do. We're running through the streets with our hands up in the air saying, all is lost. And God says, eh, wait, sit, you know, I can just picture him, sit, now. Okay, take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, and then he's able to quiet. He says, now pray. How many times do we just get in a tither and we have forgotten to pray? I have done that over and over and over again. When faced, yeah, if I just prayed about all the pee on my kitchen counter, I would have, I wouldn't have been flustered and grabbed the first cleaner out of the cabinet. I would have saved myself so much trouble. So now, do you realize I'm going to take, it's going to take hours of buffing to get that all off my kitchen counter now? Hours. I did a square this big. took me an hour. I only have 12 more to go. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes we just, we react because we're flustered. And we all do it, don't we? You know, whether it's a kid that's got you flustered or whatever, we all do that. It says, I am alone and I am in deep distress. Make sure you pray. If you are in distress, do nothing but pray. That is so key. So key. And he says, my problems go from bad to worse. Boy, didn't I make my problems go from bad to worse? Didn't I? Oh, save me from them all. Poor David was at the end of his rope. And it is during these times you must remember what Paul said, I think, in 2 Corinthians 4.7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthly vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side. This is, this is Paul saying this. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So you will never be destroyed. That's a promise we have. God's not going to allow that. Even if you die, you win, right? If you die, you get to be with God in heaven. Where's the problem in that? So I, he says, feel my pain, see my trouble, forgive all my sins. You know what? Jesus was well acquainted with our sorrows. That's what he said. I am acquainted with the sorrows. You remember, he lived as we lived. And he went through some very difficult times. And then eventually, you know, he was betrayed by, by people he loved. He was, he, Peter denied him. 
I mean, that's got to be very hurtful. So he understands all of our troubles. And so don't forget that. He feels your pain. He really does. It's not just a, uh, you know, I'll feel your pain, as President Clinton once said. No, no. He has no idea. And so ask him. And it's important. Forgive all my sins. Oftentimes, um, we don't really want to know what all our sins are, but we need to get it out. And so pray that the Lord reveals those things which are not pleasing to him. And he will. If you are sincere, he will. He will reveal them. And when you reveal them, then when he reveals them, then you can confess them. And you can change your ways. You can say, oh, you're right. I do do that. I do have a bitterness of heart. You know, I do have unforgiveness. You know, so many times we do that. And we live with that. And we wonder why our relationship with the Lord is hindered. But... We need to make sure that communication with the Lord is unhindered. That's why we need to confess our sins. In verse 19 and 20, it says, See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me, rescue me, my life from them. Do not be, let me be disgraced for I, excuse me, for in you I take refuge. For in you I take refuge. He is our only refuge. Nothing else will do. It's important that we realize that. We have a creator of the universe looking out after you. What more could you want? I mean, nobody can defeat him. The enemies of our soul can't defeat him. If you're going through a difficult time in your, in your life with your husband, with your family, anything, he's going through those difficult times with you. He feels for you. And he is the one who can comfort you during those times. We need to take refuge. And then he says, do not let me be disgraced again. So he's really serious about not dishonoring the Lord. He doesn't want to give God a black eye. He says, yeah, I know I've blown it. You have forgiven me for it. But I don't want your name to be dishonored. So it was a real concern to him. And then verse 21, may integrity and honesty protect me. For I put my hope in you. The last thing David wanted was, again, God's name to be blasphemed. But now he needs to depend on God and put his trust in him that he can fix this problem, this mess. And then verse 22, he says, Oh God, ransom Israel from all its troubles. David now turns his prayer to include all of Israel, realizing that we all have the same problem. We're all like David. And I like the term he uses as ransom. Remember, hundreds of years later, Jesus will give his life as a ransom for many. So... I'd like to leave you with Romans 15:13. It says, Now may the God of hope, and that's what this whole thing is, having hope in the Lord. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, that's a lot to take in in this psalm. So many truths that you have. Help us to put our trust and our hope in you. Help us to follow your paths, follow your demands, your, your precepts, Lord. You do it all for us, Lord. You do it so that we can have quality of life. And so help us to look to you. Seek out your face, your word, your forgiveness in everything that we do. Help us to um, turn away from anything that might hinder our relationship with you, Lord. Just reveal those things to us, we ask. We ask that also you be with each one of the groups now as we split up and discuss everything that we've, um, we've read and been taught this week. 
And we just thank you for this psalm, Lord. It is so personal. We can apply it, each one of us, to our lives. And so we thank you for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.